I'll give a wave like this just to let you know that that joke is over. I misbehave on stage, but I'm better than when I wasn't sober. Right, so I've sobered up. There's still some blackouts. And, um, I worked in hymens and survived tornadoes and trailers, but that don't mean I won't put in my two weeks later. Having a good time, baby. Having a good time, baby. We're having a real good time. We're having a good time, baby. Having a good time, baby. I'll tell you one more time. Oh, yeah. We're having a good time. Yeah. We're having a good time. All right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to uh, the We're Having a Good Time podcast. It's an exciting day. We're in September, about midway through. And I, my name is Dusty Slay. I don't know if I've said that already. And I'm your host. And, uh, I am here in studio, back live in studio, with my co-host and wife, Hannah Hogan. Triple threat. I mean, double threat. All right. Welcome. Great to see you, Dusty. Thanks for being here, Hannah. Yeah, it's great to be here as well. What we're trying to, we've always got complications going on with the video here and there, but uh, we have, we should have this recording. Yeah, you need to fire your producer. Yeah, my producer has been pretty weak with it. (laughs) But I want to talk about a couple of things real quick. One is about two weeks ago, I'm sitting up here in my room, I'm writing, and uh, I hear a scream like I (laughs) have never quite heard before. And I go downstairs, and Hannah is there frantic and the stove the oven is on fire the coil is broken and there's little sparks shooting out of it and it's a fire and i don't know what to do because i've not really been in that situation before but i feel like you know we were always told not to throw water on a grease fire and it's an electrical stove so i was like man i don't want to put water on this thing so i ran i got our fire hydrant which blew my mind because i don't even know where that thing came from Yeah. (laughs) I mean. So I grab the fire hydrant. I spray it down. There's fire hydrant stuff all over the kitchen, whatever that powder is. But the fire on the coil is still going. And I've never seen this before. So then I'm like, I don't know. Well, let's try water now. Let's just make this go out. So then I poured water on it, and it's still going. And I'm like, at this point, I'm like, I don't know what's about to happen. Maybe we call the fire department. So we call 911, and then the moment we dial 911 and hit send, the fire goes out. But they always say if you call 911, don't hang up, right? So we didn't hang up, and basically we were just like, the reason we called is because there was a fire in the stove. We didn't know what to do, but now the fire's out. We really don't need anyone. And they're like, we'll send a fireman. So then three fire trucks come down the neighborhood with the the sirens on and then the fire truck guy comes out and I'm just telling him what happened told him we don't really need anything now uh we're all good so they come in they pull the stove out from the wall and they unplug it and then he's like that's really all we can do and I'm like yeah well I told you we didn't need anything (laughs) (laughs) um And so we start looking at stoves to get a new one. We have a weird shaped stove. Our stove is 24 inches wide, which is 
small for a lot of them. We don't have any extra space. So we start looking, and it seems like the best deal that we're finding on a stove that doesn't look like the cheapest stove on the planet is about 1200 bucks. And it's not the end of the world. When we bought the house, the stove was included. So it's an old stove. So at some point, we will need to get a new one anyway. But, so, but it's like 1200 bucks right now when I'm not really working gigs. That doesn't seem fun. So we have, but we're looking, and we have some friends over. And this, and this is the reason I'm telling this story. And this friend, this guy goes, oh, you can just replace that coil. He's like, I think for like 30 bucks, you can order that and just replace it. I had never heard this before. So I looked on Amazon. I found the coil that we had. I ordered it. It came in on Saturday. Me and Hannah, we cleaned the stove up. We put this coil in there. It took us about 10 minutes to do. And it works fine. I was going to spend 1200 bucks when instead I spent 30 That's amazing. And the reason that I want to share this is because I just thought of the importance of having friends that know things. And these friends are a bit older than us. They're not older people, but they're a bit older than us. And they have a bunch of kids. They've had, you know, experiences. And it's like, I just think that's important to have people around that know stuff. Because I could have Googled that. I could have Googled replacing the coil, but to be honest, it didn't even cross my mind. It didn't occur to either one of us. Yeah. I mean, the idea that that could be replaced, I just thought, no way they're going to make replaceable parts. They want people buying a new stove. But I thought it was amazing, and we fixed it, and now we've been baking. Hannah just baked some banana bread today. Yep. So that's exciting. Wow, lots of exciting news. Let's get into this. Where we've been, where we're going. Where they going. Where they been. Where they going. Where, where they been. Where we're going, where we've been. Where we're going, where we've been. Very exciting. You've been somewhere, huh? Yes, I'm not going anywhere. I don't, okay. I don't have any gigs this weekend, but I have been somewhere. Where have I been? ATL, Atlanta, Georgia, Hotlanta as no one calls it, uh, at the punchline. It's a lot of fun. I did seven shows at the punchline. I did one Thursday, two Friday, three Saturday, and one Sunday. Seven shows, about an hour a show, unbelievable, just firing it off, jokes coming out of nowhere. I'm just thinking of jokes. I'm rattling things off. Some large crowds, some small crowds, some crowds with a lot of mask on. But the whole weekend was very fun. And a thing that made it even more exciting is that my friend Evan Burke was featuring for me. Evan Burke is, you know, one of my, at this point, one of my oldest friends. And we started doing comedy together in Charleston. And uh, the punchline is in a place called the Landmark Diner, which... Uh, they remodeled and added the punchline in. But in the back of the Landmark Diner, the Landmark Diner used to be bigger. It took up more space in there. And in the back side of this was a place called Jerry Farber's Side Door. And it was a comedy club ran by a comic named Jerry Farber. And Jerry Farber's Jewish. My friend Evan is Jewish. And about 2000, 
maybe late 2012, early 2013, me and Evan did comedy at his childhood temple, like where he used to go to church. And me and Evan were opening for Jerry Farber. And Jerry Farber, by the way, blew my mind at that time. And Jerry Farber was uh, really liked me and Evan and invited us to do his club. And we had never done a comedy club before. And so me and Evan went and did comedy at Jerry Farber's. It's a huge deal for us. I mean, we had all my family was there, uh, friends that I went to high school with, all Evan's family was there. It was a huge deal. Uh, not that great of a show, but a huge <laughs> deal, right? <laughs> and so I'm going to say that's 2013. And here we are, seven years later, back at the same location. I'm headlining, Evan featuring. And we're standing out in front of the same marquee that we stood out in front of in 2013. Took a picture. And it just feels good. Yeah. It's exciting. Mm-hmm. And um, what an amazing weekend. I wanted to talk a little bit more about 2013 because where I left off in the pesticide tales, uh, it was 2012. And I still have one more, you know, season of selling pesticides in 2014. But I can't just skip right to 2014. So I thought, why not get into 2013 a little bit? The year you met your wife. Yeah. I mean, don't ruin the stories. You know what I mean? And, uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, but, uh, yeah. So, you know, 2013, I haven't really written a lot of this stuff down. I mean, mainly I was hanging out in Charleston. I was living on Burns Lane. I was, it was the first year, 2012 was the first New Year's that I had spent sober since 2000, or, or since I was 16, probably in 98. Uh, so I had never had, a, this was a New Year's, what is that, what would that be, 14 years later? Here I am, I found myself sitting in my apartment on New Year's, making a bunch of Facebook posts. Not sad, not anything, I'm just watching TV, being funny. And my friend John Brennan, he calls me up and he goes, dude, why don't you come over here and hang out with us? I guess he felt sorry for me. But so I did go hang. But I just sat sober and hung and I just thought, this is incredible. I've never really been the most calm and reserved person at a New Year's party. I was always one of the wildest. Mm. And I was very calm. Everybody was drinking. I was just enjoying myself. And then I left. And I woke up January 1st, 2013, uh, not hungover for the first time in 14 years. Felt good. 2013 was a great year. I was hosting my, my show at Big Gun. The Big Gun show took off. My open mic I was hosting. Uh, I was hosting trivia at Yo Burrito and at Mellow Mushroom two nights a week. So I would have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday during the day, I worked at Hyman's from 10 to 4. Um, Tuesday, Wednesday, thir- Tuesday and Thursday, I hosted trivia at night. Wednesday, I hosted, tri- uh, hosted comedy at night. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I was completely off. So three days a week, I was completely off of work. And on Thursday, all I did was host trivia at night. It was an amazing time. I would just stroll through downtown Charleston. I didn't own a car. I didn't have, I just rode a bike. I rode a bike everywhere, just cruised around. Sometimes I'd go out to 
the park and look out at the water and you could see dolphins out there playing. Mm. I would go out there at night and just watch the dolphins play. Mm. It was an incredible time. Mm-hmm. I was I was like enjoying life. You were reborn, sober. Reborn. I was doing a monthly show at Theater 99 called Dusty Slay's Homegrown Comedy Showcase, which I thought was a very unique title at the time. Turns out everybody has a homegrown showcase. They do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I put up lots of people. Um, I don't know if that poster can be seen on the camera, but that's, uh, that was the poster that I used. If I do share this on the internet, I will try to show in the poster, um, the video, I mean. And I don't know if this is fun or interesting, but um, I was not doing much of any traveling, and I, I opened for Rory Scoville at the Comedy Festival in Charleston. And, uh, or some kind of festival. I don't know what it was. And he emailed me. I emailed him, sent him the video. He said he missed it, but he'd like to watch the video. So I emailed him, sent him the video. He watched it, sent me back this long, very nice email about how I'm a good comedian. And if I want to pursue comedy, I need to leave Charleston. Right? So then I was, I knew that had to happen. So I was faced because I love Charleston. I loved living there. It was a blast. Uh, I didn't want to leave, to be honest. It's such a great, fun place to be. It's such an artistic community where, like, the local scene really appreciates the local scene, if that makes sense. Like, if you're a part of that and being a comedian who was voted best local comic two years in a row, um, uh, it it uh, it feels good. I got voted. I, I won... The contest for stand-up competition again in 2013, I think. Or was it? I don't know. Doesn't. I was voted Best Local Comic in 2013 and then again in 2014. Um, so that was happening. That was feeling good. I was going to the parties. I was a part of the scene. A lot of fun. Didn't really want to leave. But I knew I needed to. So I went. My friend John Brennan was living in. No, no, not John. He was living there. But my friend Derek had moved. Derek Humphrey had moved to New York City and was living in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And he had a room that came open. It was Derek and another friend, Jordan, both people that I had done comedy with. We did an assorted rogues sketch comedy group at Theater 99. And he had a room that came open. And I said to him, do you think your landlord would let me rent that room for just one month? So he worked it out. I got it. I think it was 1100 bucks for one month. Uh, I saved up money, and I went to New York. I still had my own rent to pay in Charleston. I was still paying that rent. And then I went to New York. I flew there, and I had never really been to New York in that context, like alone. I drove uh, the other two times I went there previously. So I drove, drove right up to whatever place I was going to. This time I flew in. And I landed and no one could meet me at the airport. And Derek was like, you're just going to have to take the subway. You'll have to take the subway into Manhattan, come to my work, get a key, and then take the subway back to Brooklyn. I was terrified. I rode the subway all the way to Manhattan. I had all my luggage. I made my way to a liquor store where Derek was working. I went to the store. He came out. He gave me a key. 
Then I had to make my way back to the subway, get back in a subway car, and go to some random apartment in Brooklyn, which happened to be a basement apartment. And But I did it. I made it. And then I'm there, and my goal was, I'm going to be here for 30 days. My goal was to do one open mic every day for 30 days, at least one. I ended up doing 47 shows in 30 days, which I think is probably not that much for someone who really hustles the comedy scene in New York. But for me, at the time, I was doing, you know, maybe two open mics a week. So that is eight as compared to 47. And on my second or third night there, I'm at this open mic called the Crocodile Lounge, I think is what it's called. And uh, they they had free pizza. And um, if you signed up, you got free pizza. And then there was beers, but I wasn't drinking because I had already quit drinking at the time. And then uh, this girl comes up to me and she's like wondering about the mic. She's not being very friendly. She's wondering about the mic. And I forget exactly what I said, but uh, we ended up really hitting it off and becoming friends. And uh, we both did comedy that night. Very fun. And that person is my wife. Mm. And uh, you remember that? Yeah, I do. And I remember walking to that mic because I felt like people in New York were being rude to me. And I remember going to that mic and be like, you know what? I'm not going to be little Miss Nice Hand anymore. And I'm going to come in with an attitude. I'm not going to act like I'm all sweet and stuff. And so I remember I was probably giving Dusty that energy. Turns out he liked it. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, I expect people in New York to act like that. Well, you're also American. Right. Well, I expect people in New York to have an attitude, but I'm just going to be nice to everyone. That's what I do. Well, I remember you start talking like, this guy's not from New York. And we did the open mic, and we ended up hanging out the rest of that week. And then we had a really great time. We did a lot of mics together. And then Hannah left, and I was there for about uh, three more weeks. And I did uh, all kinds of open mics. I didn't have a job. I walked all over New York City. I really took in the city. I went down the financial district. I uh, rode out on a ferry to Staten Island. Um, My friend Betsy was living there, Jordan. And Derek, all people that I had done assorted rogues sketch comedy with. My friend John Brennan was there. John Brennan was doing a... John Brennan is the guy who encouraged me to do comedy. And he was doing uh, his show, The Banana Monologues, off-Broadway in New York City. I mean, I watched him create this one-man show. And then I watched him take it all the way to New York City. And I got to see him perform it in New York City, and it was a lot of fun, um, you know, and I, I just uh, really gained an appreciation for New York that I didn't have before. I overcame the fear because I traveled to so many mics by myself. I walked around, and, you know, and I did mics with, with various people, but I just really overcame a fear of riding the subway and stuff. Now, from what I understand, that fear may be back now. I feel like I feel like people are saying it's a bit crazy there right now. I've seen some things. Um, but just a great experience. And I kept a journal. Every day I was there, I wrote in my journal uh, about the trip in New York and, and, and what I experienced. And I thought it was great. I mean, this was something that was recommended to me by John Brennan. He said, do that. He said, go to New York. Do comedy every day. Keep a journal. Talk about, you know, and I just did that. And 
I don't regret it. I, I wanted to see if I wanted to move to New York. And what did you decide? I met Keith Alberstadt while I was there. Keith Alberstadt had agreed to meet with me and talk because he was a Nashville guy. And I ultimately what I decided. You weren't living in Nashville at that time. So Nashville guy didn't really mean anything to you, right? Well, it did a little bit. I had, um, no, I guess it did not mean anything to me. This is what happened. I had emailed a manager while living in Charleston. And he got back to me, and we talked on the phone the first day I showed up in New York. And he uh, had a client. client Keith was his client, and he uh, set up uh, you know, a meeting between me and Keith just to sit and talk to each other. And Keith agreed because he's a very nice guy. And we met, and Keith told me his plan for what he did in comedy. Which, this is the plan that I sell to people all the time now. I sell, I mean, tell them for no money. Um, uh, that, that he lived in Nashville, and based on geographic location where he was at, he could get to lots of different clubs in just a couple of hours' time. So he, would, he said he would call, like, the Stardome and say, hey, I'm passing through on my way to do another gig. Uh, I'd love to do a guest spot if you have the time. And... They would say, sure, come on in. And then he would get in his car and drive down there and do it. He didn't actually have another gig, but he was like, I was just trying to get stage time. So he got all this stage time doing, you know, doing that. He would go to Crackers in Indianapolis and the Stardome in Birmingham, uh, Comedy Catch in Chattanooga. Uh, at the time, there was a Side Splitters in Knoxville. Um, so he would do all those sorts of things. And then he said, you know, it's also a really good way to start working the road. And I liked his approach. But I also wanted to move to New York City. I, th I felt like that you, Hannah, wanted to move to New York City. And I wanted to move there too. But I met, when I got back, I had a phone conversation with the manager that I'm talking about. And he kind of laid out a thing for me. He said, you know, this is what he said. He said, you could move to New York. He said, you'll probably have to take a job again because, you know, you'll, be, you'll have to wait tables and or whatever, do a day job, and then do open mics and grind it out on the scene. And obviously, some people make that work. Or he said, what you could do is start working the road, learn to become a comic while doing comedy. You start building up, and then he said, you can become a full-time comic and eventually move to New York as a full-time comedian, and then you go out on the road and make your money, and that's how you make your living for New York. And at first, I didn't like that idea. It was a bit soul-crushing to hear that kind of thing because what I wanted was to move to New York. But I always pray in a certain way. I'll pray to God and I'll say, you know, I want to move to New York City. If that's not the move for me, uh, put something in my way, set it up so that I can't go, show me another way. And I felt like this was showing me the other way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so I feel like that has shown me the other way. So what I did was I put together a tour. I decided that I was going to, all right, I was like, okay. And, the, and, and I was like, all right, so I want to get into some clubs. I had never really done clubs. I had done Jerry Farber side door, but as most people can tell you that was not really a club. I mean, it was, 
but they're not on the circuit. They're not hiring headliners features as far as I know. And also it's gone at this point. So I've never really done a comedy club. So I put this run together where I would leave Charleston. I would go to Atlanta. I would go to, this is all still 2013. I would go to Atlanta. I think I had um, Nashville, uh, Knoxville, Greenville maybe. This is all uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, Greenville, South Carolina. Um, Oh, oh, um, what's the play? Wilmington, North Carolina, and then Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so I went to Atlanta. I did the, uh, my first spot was, uh, I did the um, Laughing Skull in Atlanta. I did an open mic. It went really well. And then I got a call that someone had gotten me into Zanies in Nashville. And they said, and I had another gig lined up for Atlanta, but they said, this is Zanies. This is the club here. So you want to, you want to do this. So I said, okay, I'll do it. I had never really done a club. I just did an open mic at the laughing school, but suddenly now I'm doing Zanies comedy club in Nashville. Never really done a comedy club. And I pull up there and I'm supposed to do 20, 15 to 20 minutes clean. Uh, and I was like, no problem. I got it. And then I show up and I don't know what happened because I've never seen this happen again, but I was opening for Pablo Francisco and the manager came to me. It was Casey, a guy named Casey at the time. And he said, hey, the host didn't show. Uh, can you host? And I was like, yeah. He's like, can you do 30? And I was like, well, yeah, 30 clean. So it's like I'm in a spot now that I very well uh, might not have been able to handle had I done this earlier, you know, but it was just good timing. I mean, I had all, that material worked out. I was ready to go. And I had never hosted before. I didn't even know what that meant, really. But I just knew that it would be me first saying hey to the crowd. So Zany's was sold out. Zany's seats about 300 people when it sold out. Wow. This is your first club. First club. Wow. And the Zane, the way the green room is positioned is the entrance to the stage is, is uh, you know, just right there by the stage. So you're, you're in the green room. You open the door, and it's like, boom, sold out, sold out club. I mean, this place is packed, and I have to take those three steps to get up on the stage, and I just start going, and it went unbelievable. I couldn't ask for it to go better. I had this joke, and I talked about this joke the other day where I would say, uh, uh, if you see me running, uh, I don't like to run, but matter of fact, if you see me running, I appreciate if you'd stop and pick me up, I'm probably in some kind of trouble, <laughs> right? I would say, I would say, matter of fact, if you see me running, I'd appreciate it if you'd stop and pick me up. So I had... I had that joke, and then I had five more. So I had six jokes where I would say, you know, matter of fact, if you see me fishing, I'd appreciate it if you'd stop and offer me something to eat, right? And it just kept going like that. And then as they got towards the end, they would change a bit. So I did the fifth one, and the fifth one just got a mediocre laugh, right? And I was like, oh, too many of those, huh? And then someone in the audience yells out, do one more. And I did it, and it crushed. And then the great thing was, though, well, the regretful thing is I had a seventh one tucked away inside of another joke. And I thought, and I forgot to do that joke that night. It didn't matter because the set still went really great, but I thought, in that setting that night, had I done that seventh one, Pablo wouldn't have been able to follow you. That place would have blown up. 
And it was great. And then I went back. I stayed in the comedy condo that Zanies has. It was brand new at the time. It's very nice. They were like, we just got a new condo. I was one of the first people to stay in it. And I drove back to um, to Atlanta the next day feeling amazing. And then I ended up coming. So I went back to Atlanta, did another show. And then I came to Nashville and I did a few different shows. I did uh, uh, a show with Chad Ryden. Uh, which would end up becoming Spiffy Squirrel, but it wasn't at East Room. It was at some weird place in a warehouse. And then I did Cafe Coco, which was hosted by Mary J. Berger and Paulina Combo. Uh, at uh, I remember people like Monty Mitchell was on the show, Ron Placone was on the show, and it was called Comedy Pug Hugs, and that was their show they used to do. And I did, I think I did the East Room open mic, and uh one. So you made quite an entrance in Nashville. Yeah, so I came right in and did several shows. And then I left. I stayed with my uncle one night in Gatlinburg, and then I got sick. He smoked a lot of cigarettes inside, and I think that might have got me sick. But I, I drove all the way to um, Wilmington, North Carolina. Actually, I was in a rental car, and I was driving. I was driving in the left lane on the interstate, and this car in the right lane is slightly in front of me, gets over on me, Hits my car. I run off the road on the interstate just to avoid them, but they still hit me. And then I get back on, and then we both pull over, and it's this older lady, and she's got a family there with her. And and we just kind of talk, and we look at each other, and I look at the car, and I'm like, it's a rental car. I'm sick. I'm trying to get to Wilmington. Not Wilmington. Where where was I going? Uh, Where's the place that had DSI? Comedy room. We've done that before. Chapel Hill? Chapel Hill. That's where I was going. And I was late. I wasn't feeling well. I was like, you know what? I got to get to where I'm going. I said, you're fine. If you want to go, you're fine. And she said, okay, great. So we get in the car and we take off. It's a rental car. I'm like, I'll deal with it later. And we're driving along. And all of a sudden, her car comes speeding up behind me. I mean, they're going like 100. She's flashing the light. She gets up beside me, motions for me to pull over. So I pull over and the lady gets out and she's like, my daughter, who's in the back seat, said, you hit us in the back. And I said, I said, listen, I said, I'm letting you go. I said, yeah, you're, I hit the back of your car, but you hit the back of your car when you got over on me. I said, I ran off the road to avoid you. I was like, I was like, we can call the police if you want, but if we do, I'm going to tell them it was your fault or you could just let me go. Because that's what I'm doing, is I'm actually doing you a favor. And she said, okay. And I got in the car and drove off. Mm-hmm. But it was like, that's true. I mean, I just did this lady a favor. And then she was trying to pin the wreck on me. I was like, no, thank you. And so I go, and I get all the way to DSI, had a good time. I was, I was not feeling well. I had another show I was supposed to do the next day. But I ended up getting my hotel room for two nights in a row because I was sick. And I sat in that hotel all day. And just, it was a Saturday. I watched football. It was a great time. And the next day I went down to Charlotte. This is a long story, I know. But the next day I went down to Charlotte, North Carolina. And I entered a contest called um, um, Fight Night with Debbie Millwater. And you get three minutes to compete. And then, you know, if you got into the top three, you move on to the finals. And then the winner gets a free, gets a hosting weekend at the club. So I go in, I'm still not feeling great. I'm still a little sick, but I go in and I end up getting third place. So I get invited back. 
And then I go home and I end my trip. So I saw three clubs, all that, all on my own, own dime. I paid all the hotels. I didn't have a car at the time, so I rented the car. I did all this on my own dime. I made barely any money. Oh, I did a show in Knoxville with Matt Ward. I remember Dan Whitehurst and Joe Kelly being at that show. I, it's the first time I really met Dan and talked to him. Uh, and he had a huge beard back then. And, uh, but I did all that on my own. And it cost me money, cost me quite a bit of money. But all that stuff paid off in the long run. All those relationships I built, I had applied to do the Laughing Skull Festival and they didn't let me in. So then I went, did an open mic, got to know the people. They liked me. Next time I applied, I got in. Uh, Zanies uh, really liked what I did and decided to book me. I won third place in the um, Debbie Millwater contest. Now, Later that year in 2013, I go back to, um, I, and I had a friend in Charleston. He was a very funny guy. I'm not going to. still 2013? Because I met you in September. Still 2013. This all, I did, I put together this tour immediately after. Wow. So I go back to, it was a two-week tour. So I go back to Charlotte to do fight night, to do the final round. And I invited my friend. I'm not going to say his name because it was August when we met, by the way. It was September. You're right. Mm, no, it was maybe August. it was August. It was maybe August. I moved to New York in September. Yeah, it was August. Um, so I go back to do fight night. Now, I want to say this. I'm not bashing my friend. I won't say his name, so no one will know who it is anyway. But he's a very funny guy. But I say this for a reason. I asked him, I said, hey, I'm going back up to, you know, to Charlotte to do this thing. You want to go and get – oh, you know what? Actually, I asked him to go the first time. But anyway, so I'll say this. So he says, nah, man, I don't want to do that. He's like, you're just going to go up there. Uh, you're going to do something for free. And then they're going to ask you to come back so they can see you again if they want to see you. And then they're just going to get you to do a bunch of free stuff. They're never going to pay you. And I was like, okay. So I ended up going up there and doing it. And I got third place. And then I went back to the finals and I won the whole thing. And I ended up getting a feature weekend out of it as opposed to a hosting weekend. So my very first feature weekend was at the Charlotte Comedy Zone uh, with Josh Blue, featuring for Josh Blue. And it was an amazing weekend. And I did make money for it. And So you can't let cynicism overrule you. Right. I mean, but had I listened, and now my friend barely does comedy at all. Now he's more of a family man. He, he, he went back to school. He's a teacher now. And he's married, he's got kids, he's doing his own thing. But he's one of the funniest comics I've ever known and ever worked with. But he let his own bad work ethic and negativity keep him from, from becoming something better. Not better, becoming a better comic is all I mean. I mean, he may be very happy with the decisions he's made, and I hope he is. Because uh, I know his wife too. I mean, they're great people. I'm sure they're having a wonderful time. Point is, if you want to be a comic... Make the sacrifices, you know what I mean? And now is the time, I think. Now is the time, especially if you're trying to move up in comedy, you got to make those sacrifices right now because it's going to be harder to get booked. you got to look up uh, Adam Wagner, Ignite Hospitality. I'm sure he's still doing it, but he used to get a lot of people cheap hotels, and now's the time because you get a club to book you, They'll probably for features right now, they're probably going to say no hotel. We can book you, but we can't give you a hotel. So if you if you start working out your own lodging, that's the way to go. Get couch surfing out. Get Airbnb out. Um, and this is still 2013. So I went back and I won that. 
Now, I didn't do the Josh Blue thing until 2014. So 2013, November, the end of November, Keith Alberstadt is having a show here in at Zany's. And he invite he says, if you want to do a set on it, you can do a set on it. That's like a it's like a nine hour drive from Charleston to Nashville. It's like it doesn't make any sense. But I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. Because I wanted to do comedy. So I think it was me, Chad Ryden, Brian Bates, and uh, TC Cope all on this show with Keith Alverstadt. And I had a pretty good set. Wasn't amazing, but I had a pretty good set. I felt good. And then I just drove home the next day. And yeah, I think that's it. But so that was it really for 2000. When did you decide you were going to move to Nashville? um, Shortly after the trip. After that trip, I thought, you know what? I had a great time after the, after booking the tour. I said, I have a great, I had a great time in Nashville. I already have an inn now at this club in, in Zany's. Um, I'm like, all I want to do is live in a city with a comedy club where I can work and I can meet other bigger, uh, better comics. And, but I can also work the road while keeping a low cost of living so that I don't need a, another job. So I decided, you know, late 2013, early 2014, that I was going to move to uh, Nashville. Nashville. And then I, I want to say 2013 was the, the, the last year that I won the Charleston stand-up comedy competition. So later that year, I would go on to win that. You won a lot of contests. That's, that's impressive. I was really winning a lot of contests for a while. I don't that's know. That's a real sign of talent. Well, thank you. But I, uh, well, it is. I mean, I never won any contests. Well, the Laughing Skull Festival, you know, I couldn't, the first two years that I did it, it was a contest. I couldn't get out of the first round. I really felt like I was a contest winning machine and I felt like I'd figured it out, but I couldn't do it in Atlanta. But part of it was because it was judges. It was a judge's vote. Mm-hmm. And it would be, you know, especially the second year that I did it, a lot of the judges were like previous winners mm-hmm. and people from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So they would vote for the Atlanta people. Right. Just like a contest I judged in 2014. Maybe I'll save that from 2014. But, um, oh, no, it would have. Oh, no, 2012 would have been the last year that I won. That's right. And then, no, no, it was not. Wow. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. None of this makes any sense right now. The timeline is not adding up. No one knows. Who cares? First time I won was 2011. Second time I won was 2012. 2013 was the year I was a judge. So this does matter in the same year. Now I had a I had I had I was a judge with one of the former members of Theater 99, or he still is a member, um, and then uh, a lady who edited for the Charleston City Paper, and then me. We were the judges, right? I've talked about this before. Bothers me to this day. Uh, it was set, all of the people in this finals were my friends. All of them were local comics. They were all my friends. Two of the guys were the funniest. They were the guys that everybody in town would say, "These are the funniest guys. These are the funniest people. They're going to win the contest, no problem." But that night, there was another guy who I would never say is funnier than the other two guys. But that night, he was the funniest. He was the funniest, and I wrote his name down. That's who my vote was going to go for. And I got into the green room with the other two judges, and they didn't even want to hear it. 
They didn't want to entertain it for a second that that guy could be the winner. Just because they knew, like, his track record. I guess so. Mm-hmm. And he didn't win. Now, there also was an audience vote, and he didn't win the audience vote. But... So why do you think he was so funny? He crushed it. I mean, he did crush it. He destroyed it. And I just, I don't know. So I could have been wrong, but it still bothers me to this day. So that was 2013 for me. All right. All right, so we probably have like 20 minutes to the hour. What do you want to talk about? Well, um, I also have Poison Ivy right now. (laughs) I know that I've talked. Listen, viewers, Dusty has had some sort of skin situation all summer. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I have a skin situation going on all the time. So in the, um, I got, I got, we got some land. Have we talked about how we have land? I don't know. Well, we own land now out in McMinnville, Tennessee. And um, we talk about looking for land. Yeah, we own land now. I I think I did talk about it with Reno Collier, Uh, but we own land now. And I went out there. One of my favorite things to do is to go out with hedge clippers and just start chopping down stuff. Because what I want to do is I want to thin out an area in the woods so that there is a little bit more. What you looking for, Bob? There is a little bit more of a a forest, (laughs) a viewable forest aspect out there. And, you know, because right now it's just really overgrown. You have giant trees and then you have a lot of overgrown brush. And it's hard to it's hard to walk through. So what I want to do is clear that up. And that's one of my favorite things is to just get out there and just clear out land. So I got out there and there's a lot of big vines that are growing up and they're choking out trees. And I got out there and I started cutting those vines. And about halfway through, I go, oh no, this is poison ivy. So I left and I went, I wasn't even thinking about it. And I left and I went to uh, a CVS there in McMinnville, and I bought some of this soap that's supposed to wash off the uh, oils from the poison ivy. And I went into the bathroom of the CVS. I washed off like really good. And I thought I was fine. And then, boom, it started to pop up. And then I went to the doctor because I was going to get a shot. And the doctor recommended me to take a, a steroid pill instead of a shot. And I didn't do it. Because the steroid pill on the bottle, it, it said, uh, uh, may reduce your risk to fight off infections. Uh, don't be around people with infections. And I'm like, well, I'm doing shows in Atlanta. I don't know if coronavirus is considered an infection. But I don't know that I want to not be able to fight off anything. So I said, I'm just going to wait this out. But it's still there. So you've been fighting poison oak, purebred. Oh, yeah. It's still there. But calamine lotion. I even put like acne medication on there and I thought it was working at first, but I don't know. Actually, some of it really dried up and others of it. And it's been a challenge in our, in our marriage because I don't want him touching on me with his, with his poison oak hands. Yeah. I mean, and that's fair. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to give her poison oak. Oh, I also want to say last night I did a show at Zany's uh, with John Christ. Uh, a lot of fun. He's back doing comedy, and Zanies is back, and they're doing half-capacity shows. But the great thing is, is they've got the table spread out in such a way that at half-capacity, it doesn't really feel like it's not full. 
it's really great the way they're doing it. And I uh, had a lot of fun there. And I also want to get some shout outs. I hung out over the weekend with um, my friend Will uh, Scarborough. He came and he brought me an SD card. Now, Will had mailed me a flash drive not too long ago, and he said this thing's got a bunch of pictures on it. And I got so pumped when the flash drive came in the mail, and then I loaded it into my computer and it was empty. And I was like, dang, dude, put the pictures on there. You know what I mean? And so he brought me an SD card. And I posted that, and you can see that on my Instagram today. That was me and Will hanging out in 2000. Well, it's just me in the picture, but we were hanging out in 2009 down on Folly Beach. I got some beads around my neck, cigarette in my mouth. I mean, we're just partying. Uh, we also hang, hung out with a guy. Uh, me and Evan hung out every night, but we hung out with a guy, Stephen Pond, that we know from Charleston. He was a lot of fun. He's a cool dude. Uh, and Rocky Dale Davis was in Atlanta, and we hung out, and uh, that's a lot of fun, and we went to this restaurant. No, that's not it. We went to a restaurant uh, called Begalicious, mm. which is, uh, I think it's a Jewish deli. That's where Evan's family always likes to go, and it's a blast. It's so delicious. I get a bagel with pastrami on it. Dang, it's good. Anna, what would you like to add to the conversation here? Well, uh, my headphones are stuck in this chair, so I'm, I'm pre pretty preoccupied with this. Well, why don't you just... Um... Well, I'd like to talk about the Amish fella. Yeah, yeah, okay, there you go. So, Dusty and I went out to the land last week, and as we were driving out there, we stopped by a store called Everything Amish. Yep. And we'd been driving by that store, and finally we said, yeah, we got to go in there and go, just go check it out, because we have a... A little bit of a fascination with the Amish people. It's a cabin that yeah. the, the store is in. And me and Hannah had had gotten a tour of an Amish community in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Basically a private tour. Um, <laughs> yeah, private tour. And well, it wasn't like, a you know, we didn't hire someone to take us on a tour. It was a guy who was like, I know some Amish people. You want to go visit them? We're like, yeah, sure. Uh, so, and we saw them building some cabins. So anyway... So we drop by this store down there in McMinnville called Everything Amish, and it's just two white ladies trying to fix a lawnmower. Yeah, I mean, Amish people are white, too, I, I think. But No, but what I mean is two not Amish ladies. Okay, yes. And so after they fixed the lawnmower outside, I said, you don't look Amish. And then she went into uh, a long-winded story about how just her and her husband just kind of buy stuff off Amish people and then sell it at their Everything Amish store. And then it got kind of sad because they said that they're actually closing the store down in a couple months. But anyways, we got a little bit of information from this lady because she was saying that. I she, kept complimenting the cabin. I was like, really, mm -hmm. what I want to buy is this cabin. Yeah, the cabin that the store was in. And then this lady said, well, she knows an Amish fella. She didn't say Amish, though. Oh, yeah. She said she knows a fella that's selling a cabin, uh, that he makes a cabin and he's selling it. And that perked our interest so she gave us their address and she said you could just drive on by there and, and stop in and see what they say so we did that we we just put our that address into google and we drove out there way off the beaten path mm -hmm. and then you take over dusty we went way back there i mean just we're like back up um just twist and turns and it gets and we have no idea what we're going up to we're just looking for a cabin and then we pull up to this place and you can see the cabin and then it's just like a barn there's a little buggy in the barn and i'm like oh this is an amish place i did not know that we had the 
Amish people really like this in Tennessee. So, I mean, I've been up to Amish communities in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin. I've seen them a lot out in Indiana. I had no idea that they were like this in Tennessee. And so we're talking to this lady. She's barefooted. They got a couple of Amish kids and their outfits running all around. This lady's in her outfit. They show us the cabin. and She's then barefoot. She's barefoot. And she says um, that this cabin's already spoken for. Someone's already bought it. But she said, usually my husband makes one a winter. She said, we can't do it during the summer because we got a crop that we got to bring in. That's kind of how she sounded too. One or winter. Yeah. They had a wild accent. They, it was like Southern, but then also like slow Southern, like a Southern accent on top of a Southern accent. It was a tough accent. And then they, <laughs> she goes, well, the husband, he's home if you want to talk to him. And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. So he comes out in a little bit and he's looking very Amish, but he's drinking a Mountain Dew, which I thought, <laughs> I thought that was the most interesting thing. <laughs> uh, yeah he was drinking a Mountain Dew and he's talking to me and he's telling me all about it and he says you know he'll he'll build it for this certain amount of money he said I build one a winter and he said but somebody's got to give me a down payment of this much money and he said the other guy said he wants another one but I don't care whoever gives me the money first I'll build the cabin and so I want to go by there tomorrow and try to get it built but I don't know how to I don't know how you make a contract with the Amish community. That's what I said. I said, look, don't just give this strange Amish man money. You got to make sure it's legal because he might just run away. Yeah. So, but I don't know what you to do. need a witness, too. I'm, I'm torn, but also I want that cabin. He's going to build one out of cedar. And you almost want to apprentice under him. I do. I, I'd like to go and help him build it. I'd like to watch him build it so that I could maybe build mine next time. You... You do want to become Amish too, I think. I think so, in a lot of ways. I, maybe more like Mennonite. Like I don't <laughs> want to be total Amish, uh -huh. but I do. I do get into the Amish community. Yeah, I find I just, I just think, especially all the stuff that's gone down this year. I mean, I bet they weren't really even affected. Mm -hmm. You know, right? I hear there was some a lot of infection infections in the Amish community at one point. I heard that, but people just say stuff now. It's like, they'll just say stuff, and then we go, oh, yeah, there was a lot of people infected there. And it's like, do you know? Do you know? And it's like, we don't know anything. We just, somebody puts out a thing, and then everybody runs with it, and it's pretty annoying. But uh, I am going to be back in business in October, provided that everything continues on this path. The first weekend, I'll be in Lexington, Kentucky at Comedy Off-Broadway. Hey, Chattanooga. Uh, the, well, I'm about to run through them. The, uh, and, and then two weeks after that, the 15th through the 18th, I'll be in Chattanooga. Okay. And then the 23rd and the 24th, I'll be at a club called, uh, Gutty's Comedy Club in Greenwood, Indiana. So I have three weekends in October. And then the 1st of November, I'll be at the Grove oh, in, yeah. um, Lowell, Arkansas, our friend Bill. So things are really coming back around. It's really popping off. It's really a great time. And um, I wanted to play a couple of songs that I was listening to heavy in 2013, just to kind of fit the 2013 playlist. Um, 
Are you ready for those? Yeah. This is one that I was listening to quite a bit. This came out in 2013. It's Jason Isbell Southeastern. Now, I think a lot of people know about this, but I'm just going to play a couple. Um, this one, my understanding about this one is that this was written after Jason Isbell went and hung out in in New South Wales with uh, Justin Towns Earl, who's just passed away. Here we sit Across the table from each other A thousand miles from both our mothers Barely old enough to rust Here we sit Pretending both our hearts are anchored Taking candy from these strangers Midst diesel and the dust And here we sit Singing words nobody taught us Drinking fire and spitting sawdust Trying to teach ourselves to breathe We haven't yet But every chorus brings us closer Every flyer and every poster Gives a piece of what we need And the sand that they call cocaine Cost you twice as much as gold be better off to drink your coffee black But I swear the land It'll listen to the stories that we told God bless the busted boat That brings us back Okay, so that is one song that I listened to But you don't have the headphones So you don't know what that sounded like at all, do you? Uh, but that was one of my favorites. And then this was another album of his that came out in 2007 called Sirens of the Ditch. But I was also listening to this a lot in 2013. So I'm just going to play a little bit off of each of these. My door is locked, my debts are paid. I'll do the Chicago promenade My back was turned, I did not see That shadow climbing up on me I took my turn at fixing hearts But that goes bad before it starts I'm desperate now, I must say I'll do the Chicago promenade If I die now So that's a lot of fun. I mean, during 2013, what was happening for me was I was really, you know, kind of coming into myself. I um, I was figuring some things out. I had uh, was new to the conspiracy world. I was my mind was being open. My eyes were being open, and I was seeing all sorts of things. I was really, and I was listening to a lot of melodramatic music. Um, but I was also, uh, you know, starting to wear all black. I had the jeans and the V necks, and I had my hair slicked back, and. Um, 
It was late 2013. I was clean shaven for a long time. My friend Evan calls it the uh, Rachel Maddow look. And uh, I was, uh, it was, it was late 2013 when I started growing the beard. And that's, that's when I became the man I am today. But um, there's just so many, uh, so many good things, so many cool things. That's Jason Isbell. I want to try to play one other something or another from 2013. Oh, you know what? This is the perfect one. Um, this is the perfect song to play. Matter of fact, Hannah, uh, I'd like you to come over and at least listen to this so you know what song I'm playing here. If I can find it. Um, okay, this is a song. Me and Hannah ended up listening to this. Um, and... Uh, this came out in 2012. We listened to it in New York City in 2013. Delta mama and a nigger jack man Raise their Cumberland daughter in a Tennessee band Plates bring water station in Couldn't play fast, couldn't fit in Called a 66 Dodge from Carolina Got her education on her mama's dime She was singing in a bar called Comatose Halfway rusted on a salty coat Rock of ages cleave me let me hide myself in thee buried in the sand 500 miles from Birmingham we'll rock a mountain All right, so that is by a band named Shovels and Rope. It's called uh, Birmingham. The album is called Oh Be Joyful, and it is one of my favorite albums. And that Southeastern, when I was in New York City, I listened to Southeastern and Shovels and Rope like the entire time. Uh, I also listened to a good bit of Dwight Yoakam while walking around the streets in New York City. And I'm going to give you, actually, I'm going to give you one of my favorites to listen to while walking around New York City. Um, oh, somebody's calling me, but I ended it. Here we go. Okay, that's one of my favorites, and then this one. 
Okay. You know. Those are called Fast As You and Thousand Miles From Nowhere, and they are off of the album this time, and it's such an incredible album. When I think New York City, I think about Dwight Yoakam. Well, you know, that's what makes Dwight Yoakam so wonderful, though, is it's like you don't think that (laughs) until you're walking in a busy New York street in the middle of the summertime and um and you got Dwight Yoakam in it's just like dang this feels good it feels right somehow and i don't know but this is 2013 this is this episode and um in next week i'm going to try to do 2014 which will wrap up because even though 2012 was this pivotal time for me when I quit my job, I quit drinking, I sold my car, and I began to focus on comedy, 2013 was this super relaxed year where I just took my just, – just really enjoyed my life. And in 2014, I decided to um, make the move to Nashville, and, um, and this is when my comedy career actually began. So I want to get into that. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about what I did. I want to talk about some mistakes I made and, and some things I would do differently if I could start over. Uh, not that it mattered because in the end, I feel like I made all the right moves, but maybe save you some mistakes if you're listening to this uh, with the hope of advice. So thank you awesome. very much. And Hannah, do you have something you'd like to add? We're having a good time. All right. We are. We're having a good time. Thank you.